Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KBEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matters. All right. Good morning, good morning, everybody. And a fine morning it is. It is. We're just getting settled in here. Man, I tell you what, Jim, it must be uh, must be difficult to track down headphones that have two functioning ears in here, huh? <laughs> in fact, I'm not even sure I have one functioning ear on these you don't headphones. Have, oh, you got the Sennheisers. Okay, yeah, oh, that's what, the bad. These are all Sennheisers. You know what, yeah. that one uh, That one should be a good... Yeah, that was the one with Jeff. Matt doesn't care that he only has one side. That he only has what? Only one side. He seems to be happy with that. I've, I'm getting one side with both of these things. Oh, maybe it's I the thought plug. this one was fancy because it had the cord wrapper. Maybe it's the point. You know what we should do? We should get you one of those helmets from the NFL where the offensive coordinator can talk to you. Oh, I just got a second ear for a minute. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's a little Mike points can loose. hear. There we go. I just need that baritone. There it is. You got I can it? give that. Yeah, kind of. It's in and out. Okay, I can get you another set. All, All right. right. I'll get you another set. I have my own private stash of headphones. Ah, you got all the good ones stashed away somewhere? Of course. I'm not going to let Congleton have the good ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. i keep the good ones for the real shows on the weekends, all right? Now I know. Thank you, now man. I know. All right. Okay. Know who to ask. Should have guessed. All right. That lovely there I am. deep bass that you hear, that's Mike Points. Here in the flesh. Right there. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're still beginning the year with our guest lineup, huh? Guest host lineup. Mm-hmm. Waiting for Jason to make his 2018 debut. Yeah, he's it's going to be huge. Yeah, well, he's going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> he couple... probably should do the show on his own. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, going to be a couple weeks away or next week i just ran out of guests and so we're gonna have to do a rerun uh, well the super bowl is next weekend so we've got yeah. a lot of shopping to do on saturday <laughs> right to get ice beer right. yeah. meats yeah you're having a little super bowl party huh super bowl party you're right invited on. awesome you know i'd fly in solo with two children right um i figured something like that would be happening i thought your dad was coming oh and my dad yeah, yeah that's not solo dan well my in-laws are coming. They, uh, you know, you invite certain people thinking like, we just need to invite them. We love them. And then when they click yes, you're like, okay, they're coming. They're driving three hundred. They're driving 250 miles to come to my Super Bowl party. But should be good. I'm a big Super Bowl fan. I'm a big football fan. I think it, I think it should be a holiday. I think the day after Super Bowl should be a holiday. I think a lot of people end up having a great time. It's almost like a post-Christmas visit with your friends and family. Do you think opening day of baseball season should be a holiday? If we're going to go down the list, I do. I think I think that opening day, well, here's what happens, right? Most 
I believe Cincinnati Reds are usually the first game. They always get the first pitch. I can't mm, remember why. I want to say that's probably that not old? the case anymore. Because now they be the case. now they have like the ESPN. Uh, okay. Kickoff game, whatever. It's you know, it's probably Boston and the Yankees or something. Someone East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think I would. I know for a fact that I try to get, if not opening day, opening weekend off. Like I'm there Friday in San Francisco, mm. hanging out, going to game. We're going to the Dodgers series first year, first weekend of the season this year. Really? And it's just a great, great time. Uh, you know, baseball during the day when you're supposed to be at work makes it better though. So if you gave it a holiday, then really you're there's that little X factor internal benefit when you're sitting in that seat and the sun's on your face and oh, yeah. you're deciding should I have one more beer or a bag of peanuts and oh by the way people think I'm at work right now. Yeah, it might be a, <laughs> might be a slight problem though if you're on the jumbotron or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. kind of Ferris Bueller's day off thing where right I, the key is know, to not oh, catch the I'm, foul ball. You I'm can't so, catch the foul ball. I'm so yeah. sick today, and your boss happens to be watching the game at home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there you are. On that the could be a problem. That could be a that problem. That could be a big problem. Yeah. 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 Got to plan that out. Right. You don't want to see um, clients that are expecting to hear from you because of a pressing matter at the game. Well, you just take that call. I think what you do is you just say, hey, you have a minute. I'd like to buy you a beer. Here we are at the game. I've got a solution for our loan. <laughs> oh, that's if they go to the game with you. Not with me, but you could run into someone. So uh, in this business, right. in this business we have, there really is always always something you could be doing. You know, there's always something that you could be preparing for, getting back to. I mean, here I am on a Saturday morning. I could be sleeping. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> you seem happy about it. 51% awake. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what I love about the, this time of year is just the the fact that the seasons actually do change here in San Luis Obispo. It can it can feel like winter from about 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Right, yeah. <laughs> Overnight when it gets into the 60s, yeah, it really feels like winter. My wife is an ER nurse here in San Luis Obispo, and I picked her up this morning at 7. She had to work last night from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., so I worry that that car ride, even though it's 10 minutes at 7 a.m. in the morning, could be like her looking through one eye, kind of passing out, so I pick her up. And of course, she never comes out right at seven. So I'm sitting in the car, freezing, hoping that she's coming out. <laughs> Today she came out at like seven thirty, oh. which is great. I got to read a little bit for the show, but um, that is the only time of the day where I really feel like we have a winter here in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, yeah, it's cold. There's some car- sarcasm <laughs> there if you can't pick up what I'm putting down. But I am headed to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Charleston. South Carolina. Uh, really? For what? Um, the 9th through the 12th, just to check it out. My cool. wife and I haven't stamped a lot of the East Coast uh, states. Ah, uh, you filling in the map? Starting to. D.C. Cool. we did last year. That was fantastic. I, f- I felt like, I mean, we did Manhattan before, but I felt like D.C. was a good place to start. And now I'm just kind of going from the south up back to D.C. So we'll go for a long weekend. And then her, her sister, my sister-in-law, live in Knoxville. Okay. So we'll be visiting them for a week. Cool. Yeah. Get right a little on. feel of the East Coast. Yeah. I've heard good things about South Carolina. I've not been myself, but I've heard that it's 
you know, Florida is such a popular destination with golfing and the right. beaches and all that. But I've heard South Carolina is it's virtually the same type of I mean, obviously climate and the beaches, but it's a little more untouched still. And you can find cheaper accommodations. And if you are so inclined to live there, the housing is cheaper. Um, so for all those reasons, it's kind of, I don't want to say the poor man's Florida, but it's, it's the more undiscovered, um, part of that, of that Southeast area where, or just not undiscovered, but just untouched, you know, less, it's got more of that rural untouched feel kind of like what I think about here where it's just less populated, um, or Northern California where the coast is just a little, it's a little more rugged, a little more. Mm-hmm. open well the cool thing about it is uh you know the old plantations and mansions if you will they come right up to the port makes a lot of sense right i mean yeah. you get here you develop the state the region the land you're going to make it closer to resources the cobblestone streets are still there you've got the quaint little downtown that's really about three streets and those kind of kept you know not the old buildings but the old feel the old design mm-hmm. they're obviously redone and 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 much more stable but you know i can assure you that you say the word poor man i looked at our itinerary i don't think i i would call it poor man no. <laughs> I think, but what i will say that the thing that's that i will report back on but uh puts uh charleston on the map is the cuisine the mm. seafood there looks amazing yeah you're um you're gonna be hard pressed to find a vegetable, mm. but I bet the seafood's amazing. You can find vegetables. Mm-hmm. That little piece of what is that parsley they put yeah. on top? I was in That's New Orleans herb. about five years ago, maybe more, and we went to a really nice restaurant and I don't know where in the French Quarter. Sure, somewhere. Okay. Um, a salad was part of the many courses, and it came out. I literally laughed. At the, <laughs> at the waitress and she laughed back she's like thank you <laughs> like this is the most ridiculous salad i've ever seen yeah. it's like three pieces of kind of wilty green leaf wow. is that lettuce what is that stuff with right. like a couple shavings of other i'm like man <laughs> what's going on with your right. salad right right yeah it's a different world it's a new orleans salad well i'm excited for for this trip and to hear about the real estate market over there. Cause whenever you, you go will. on a vacation, you have to oh, most do a little homework. Most definitely. Perfect. Yeah. I'm the guy sitting, waiting for our table, looking at the real estate pamphlet thing yeah. with a cup of coffee. Can you yeah. write it off as a business, business expense? Because technically you're working. Uh, you can, you can, <laughs> uh, we can't sell. Gotta, you should consult your CPA. Jim. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not the kind of advice we give on the show. We okay. don't have a loan officer in South Carolina, so we can't yeah. conduct business. Yeah. There. But we could be recruiting. You never know. But you always are recruiting. <laughs> right. Always are. I had a discussion this Thursday night with some financial planners that are, uh, that were on the show. Um, Matt, and Jeff, you may remember them from earlier in the year. Oh yeah, they did the um, yeah the financial planning focused on involving Medicare. That's right? correct. They're yeah. certified Medicare planners. That's and right. Actually, I want to thank our listeners who attended their seminars. They said more than a dozen listeners went to the seminar and mentioned Mortgage Matters. So awesome, really cool, much much appreciated. And thank you to you for listening. And I hope that that you got some value from meeting with Jeff and Matt. I know a lot of them had second meetings already with people here in the area. They have a new location here in San Luis Obispo, but he said he has a great friend in Arizona 
and he just loved the way that we run our business and he wants to put us in touch with an Arizona loan officer. So you just never know. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had, a, we were chatting just before we got on the show about the first of the year and how things have been going with, yeah, with, with what we, what we do and just the rates in general. I know our listeners love the technical news and, and where rates are going. Yeah. It's, it was really fascinating. I, I have this, you know, we have a, a service that we use to get rate quotes for our clients and that service offers us a free app for our phone um, so that we can track the mortgage-backed security movement, mm-hmm. the actual the actual trading movement of the mortgage-backed securities. And we can see it in real time. Oh, yeah. It's real time. It's really cool. It shows you, you, you know, there's some different settings we can do to, to check it out and analyze where we've been and hopefully have better predictions on where we're going. And I mean, it's basically the first of the year was when we started to see a free fall in interest rates, or I should say a free fall in the mortgage-backed securities pricing, which has meant a a pretty substantial rise in mortgage rates since the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like, you know, the the interest rate market had a New Year's resolution that it was going to bulk up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to get bigger this year, and it's. I'm it's tired doing of being that. so short. <laughs> right. I don't want to be under four anymore. Right. So it's you know we've seen about a point and a half difference in the price of a Fannie Mae three and a half security since the first of the year. So what does is, that mean to you? <laughs> well, price is such a funny thing, right? Price in many markets, price is like what it costs. Right. The price of this is X. But pricing for us is like what our banks offer us as as the advisor to sell a loan at a rate. Sure. You know, but what you're telling me, that's about a quarter point in interest rate. Typically right on the cusp. Yeah. It's about a quarter point. I'd I'd say that it might be even more than that. Three it's eights. a quarter to maybe as much as a half a point in rate, probably, is the movement. According to that, mm. yeah, I'd say probably a full two points in price movement would be about a half a point mm-hmm. in interest rate movement. And so it's it's a significant move in what, just a, eh, almost four weeks, I guess. Um, but it's a pretty significant move. Mm-hmm. And when you think about how these mortgage-backed securities trade, we're, we're bumping up on the highest coupon that would go into a Fannie Mae 3.5% security. So... The way these securities are built, they can be a mix of interest rates, but they should average somewhere around that three and a half note rate minus the service, less the servicing premium, which is anywhere from a quarter percent to a little more. So Mm. what you'll tip at what you've historically seen in a Fannie Mae three and a half security is any interest rate from 3.75 to four and an eighth. Um, And that accounts for that servicing component. So... Understood. You tend to see pricing reflect that a little bit. You'd see a really big bump in price to go from four and an eighth to four and a quarter. So right now I'm seeing a lot of four and an eighth 30-year fixed interest rate locks. Mm-hmm. That seems to be at the end of the scale. To move up to four and a quarter really drastically changes pricing. But if we continue to see more movement in the mortgage-backed securities like we've been seeing, before too long we're going to start seeing interest rate the interest rate range really change where the predominant interest rates are going to be in that four and a quarter to four and five eighths bucket of interest rates. Really what's going to be trading in that Fannie Mae 4% security. Mm -hmm. So it is pretty technical. I don't know that a lot of people 
you know, want to hear all that or know all that, but that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And so we're, we're at this, this high watermark right now for the year and we're poised to cross over it into a new, a new realm of higher interest rates. Historically, if you look back 12 months, I mean, we were doing the same thing last year. However, last year we had a big political impact, which was the Trump effect. Right. The Dow is absolutely on fire. And, and, you know, I think it's tough to say why this is happening. It's tough to just say, if then, you know. It is pretty crazy. I mean, with the Dow going up like it is, you would typically expect money to be moving out of the bond market. I guess that is what's happening. Well, t- it is happening now. Yeah, you're right. What is happening now is the bond market is... is the 10-year treasury note's gone up to 2.66 yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show. You'd want to add, traditionally, you'd want to add 1.5% to whatever the 10 years trading at. Puts it right around four and an eighth, right? Puts it right around four and an eighth. We've talked about that. We talked about that at the end of the year show. We had you, Jason, and I on. You know, watch that 10-year because that's where rates are going. Yesterday, I had a, a young couple that... um or doing a refinance, she has been on the the deed, the title, and owned the house for a year. Now they're getting married. He has his own funds. He's going to bring in some funds to her, so they buy in 50-50, if you will, and they're refinancing off her parents, which were the deed of trust. So basically they bought the house all cash, but the parents put themselves on as a loan. Great credit scores, probably about a 60 to 63% loan to value, so very good equity on the collateral. 4.125 and a small cost. And they're borrowers that I would say are super easy. And you know, the thing for them, they're 25, 26. So all they've ever known, heard, realize is that rates were supposed to be below 4%. Right. So I had a face to face with them yesterday and I just said, look, here's, the, here's what's happening. Here is what's happening. Not in so many words and so eloquently as you put it with coupons and back securities, but the market moves, it's living, it's breathing. And I think what happens is people, um, they've just been accustomed to. That's when it's a really good time to have a uh, big poster size graph of um, the last 20 years. The last, I'd say the last 50 plus years of interest yeah. rates. That's a good time. You could, you know, get yeah. your big pointer stick and reference, <laughs> you know, some of the last times when rates were double digits. Right. Yeah. It is important. People who are, relatively new to to housing or to just you know opening up from that cocoon they were in living under mom and dad's roof and, sure you Good know word. doing word all that stuff cocoon. now that now that they're on their own adults you know doing the adult thing which is you know thinking about their future and where they're going to live and mm-hmm. whether they're going to own or rent and that kind of thing um they might not be aware that the historical norm for a 30-year fixed interest rate is between 6 and 8%. That 4% is still well under what's normal. And just as recently as, I'd say, you know, 2008, 9, um, interest rates were around 6%. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a few years prior to that, they were in the 7s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that long ago that we saw more normal interest rates um, in the housing market. And today, we're still just... I, I guess benefiting would be the word benefiting from some of the accommodative policies of the last 10 years, which are, you know, leaving interest rates 
still in this um, historically low area, this 4% or, mm-hmm. you know, in some cases, sub 4% if you're looking at a shorter term loan mm-hmm. or buying down or something. So it's still an amazing time to um, to finance real estate if you can find something that fits your needs that you're interested in buying. Correct. Because um, that's know, the other discussion. That's right? the Price. challenge. Yeah. The rates, I, I really think, you know, other than res- you know, setting some expectations for people or resetting expectations. Um, other than that, the the real challenge is finding the right house. It's not the the cost of borrowing is, is still very cheap, historically speaking. Yeah, I I watch Craig Santelli. I've watched him since I was in college. He's the spokesperson, uh, the the real spokesperson for MSNBC in Chicago on the Bond Report. And he said, you know, I would not be surprised if sometime this year the tenure went to three. Um, I think it's very possible. I At the end of this last year, I said 2.8 is kind of my watermark. I, I'd be surprised if it went above 2.8. I'm not an economist. I just kind of have a feel for how these things move. And they have to, they have to be able to, I mean, 0.66 to 0.8 can happen by Wednesday. Yeah, it's really about crossing a threshold, which Correct. I feel like we're pushing up against right now. Right. You know, as I said, from the first of the year, been significant movement, and we've moved all the way from a two, three, five, ten-year mm-hmm. yield to a two, six, six. I think is where it closed out this week. Mm-hmm. Yield. I feel like we moved through that trading range all the way to the high end, and now watch that when you when you start to see that ten-year creep to 2.7 or above that's when you're probably going to see it could it could move quick all the way up to three percent pretty quick um i i see that and that would correlate with the the mortgage-backed security coupon thing that i was talking about where we could see that next range of interest rates the four and a quarter to four and five eighths interest rates become the the more prevalent interest rate offering Mm -hmm. um to to people who are transacting at that time so something to keep our eye on um Certainly. And you got the trade deficit conversation coming up this this coming week with, you know, the U.S. and their, where their trade deficit's going to be at. And so I think, you know, as we get to the bottom of the hour here, it, there's quite a bit of, of things to think about. What I would like to chat about when we come back from this commercial break from our sponsors is a topic that's been coming up a lot with people getting ready to buy, which is how can I get a better down payment? Where does the money come from? Solutions on that. So, sure. you know. What we'd like to do right now is give a small break for our sponsors to tell you about how great they are, because we believe they are. And when we come back, we're going to talk about money, cash money. Money, money, money. And how you can get it to put it down on your house. So stick around, please, for more Mortgage Matters. We'll be right back after the break. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Limit. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. BBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. 
agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Karaoke style that you're going oh, with. You can all sing along to the words. Yeah. Such a cultural icon here. Yeah. Neil Diamond. That's I would right. agree. Yeah. Going out on top, though. He is. Yeah. It's always sad when one of the greats calls it a career, but. Him and Elton John this week. Yeah. No way. Elton I didn't hear about Elton John. going to do a three year farewell tour. tour. And that's it. We're going out on top. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Petty. This? Tom Petty finished his farewell tour and then passed away a week later. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. They got the autopsy report. It's yeah, not so great. Not great. Um, but I would say this. Um, you know, I've been listening to uh, Amazon music more at the house. Uh-huh. Getting yeah. some more, you know, suggestions. You know, these 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 softwares are amazing. They like I I listen to one or two songs and then it starts playing songs that I've been I haven't listened to for years that I love. Mm-hmm. The funny part is that they put the words up and I totally oh. thought there were different words to that song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like singing like da 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 that's not that ah, wow. Yeah. Those are the words. <laughs> Well, I, guess I, just, I guess I just formulated another <laughs> verse there in my head. Well, sometimes <laughs> something, to your something, credit, something, something. Yeah, sometimes uh, to your credit, people like Ozzy kind of forget the words and he puts in something they thought sure. it was, and so maybe you were actually right because right. Ozzy thought it was right. Yeah, you heard a live version, and <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, before the break, we were wrapping up and and talking about where interest rates are going, but. I wanted to bring this up because I think it's just been happening so recently with people saying, okay, it's 2018, I want to buy my first home, um, but I just don't have enough of the down payment. Income's good, boss has been giving me a little bit of a raise every year, been working on credit, it's about a 740, 780, I probably could do better, but I think I'm doing pretty good, but I've only got six, seven, eight grand in the bank. So, you know, I... 
I'm not a veteran, so I can't get a zero down loan. I don't want to live out in Shandon, and I don't know if I could live in Los Osos because of the price point. So I can't get a USDA loan. What are my options to get cash and put this down? And, you know, sometimes I stare and say, well, you've got to save more money. But there's, as loan officers, we know many different ways that cash can come to the table and work as a closing for our borrowers. Yeah. What, I mean, I think the most common thing that we're seeing, especially with younger home buyers, is the parents are getting involved. Yeah. Um, a yeah. gift. Yeah, a gift of a, a gift funds is the the term that we use. Um, you know, a lot of people get concerned about gifting and tax implications. Um, so that comes up from time to time about how much can I actually gift them? It there, does. There's like a fourteen thousand dollar per person per year tax-free cap on gifting yep and so so, if you have mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom either either of them can give the child fourteen thousand each so twenty eight thousand per child right um that again we're not cpas but it, it you know that has not there's no income effect for our borrowers there's no tax on them receiving that money it's a gift it's more of a estate planning and planning tax that they have to consider, which mm-hmm. the CPA would advise them on. Um, the ways in which to give money or gift money, I think, is where we get creative and help parents understand. It's not that the parents are like, I don't want to give them money. It's just like, I, hey, I've got my emergency fund of 20, 30 grand, and I don't want to give Lucy that. But if I did, I would have no money left to protect me. Well, let's talk about other ways you can pull money out. I mean, parents can pull money out of IRAs, Ross. Uh, you know, one of the things we've done recently, Dan, I know you've seen this. I've done one just last year in the end of the year. I put a home equity line of credit on a parent's home in the Bay Area that they were able to close and move those funds from the home equity line right as a gift to their daughter's home here in San Luis Obispo. Sure. So now they have an interest-only payment, or a payment, I should say, on their home, but they've gotten that liquidity over to the daughter, in which they wanted to do, and they're happy with the home equity line payment because of many reasons. A, the monthly payment's easy to manage. It's easy to finance that way. Um, it's on their primary residence, so it's a full tax write-off on their Schedule A against income. Not those lines of credit anymore as of the first of the year. Good point. That, I did this transaction last year. Yeah. So when you, when you think about it, there's, there's many different ways to, to get the cash. Um, another way I like to say, it's not a gift, it's really a credit, but most people don't think of this. We have to tell them, you can get credits, you can get your closing costs paid for by the seller. Uh, many times that's done by way of negotiating the contract in a purchase transaction. A lot of times the way you do that is you're going to have to offer a bit more for the house than what you want to pay for it. Let me give you an example. The house you think is worth 420 and you've sat with myself or Dan and you know that your closing cost is about eight grand. That includes escrow fees, bank fees, setting up your impound so to put property taxes and insurance aside for your impounds that'll go um, with you at the bank. That that's about eight grand, and and you have let's say five percent down on that four twenty, so that's twenty one thousand some odd dollars. But you you don't really have thirty grand in the bank. You got about twenty five thousand in the bank. 
and you look to me and say, Mike, I don't even have enough to close. And I don't know that I would want to spend every dime that I have closing because as soon as I close, I'm going to move. I'm going to have those expenses. I think I should have at least four five, six grand in the bank. Cause I own a house now just in case something happens. And what you do is you, you would offer the seller instead of 420 flat, you would offer them 428 and then you would have your agent ask for a seller credit back from the seller of eight grand. That eight grand, basically you're giving the seller 428. They're going to just credit you back eight grand at closing. They get the same amount of money if you were to offer them. Yeah, the same net to the, to the seller. Um, basically those funds can be used for anything but covering any portion of the down payment or cash refund to the buyer yep. at the end of the transaction. So it can be used for all the one-time loan costs or, like you said, funding that impound account, which we call those recurring items. Mm-hmm. Um, so any of the non-recurring or the recurring costs on a loan can be offset with a credit from the seller. Um, we've seen credits from realtors, from, from the agents involved in transactions. Yes. yes. You can get a lender credit by, you know, using the interest rate as a tool to generate a closing cost credit or not. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that a credit could be, um, a part of a purchase transaction and any of those monies that come from any one of those types of credits can be used for those recurring or non-recurring charges. And if you ever find yourself in a position where you've got credit um, that exceeds the recurring and non-recurring costs of the loan, then you would use any additional credit to buy down your interest rate and get a, a lower monthly payment. Or... You can pay down principal up to a certain amount. Yeah, you, you can. Usually yeah, it's capped not, at some nominal amount. Yeah, usually FHA loans are 2500 and conventional is 5000 And that's something that you would want to talk to about with your loan officer during the process. But I, you're absolutely right. And you know what? Another way that you can look at gift funds would be and I've seen this, it doesn't, it's very unlikely, but it happens is you might be in a business where you're, let's say you're in a sales business and you get bonuses or you, um, you know, you're doing very well and it would not be abnormal for you to have a discussion with your employer. Your employer's got a vested interest in you getting a house here. Yeah. I'd like to advance commission or, you know, the bonus that I typically get, where are we at with that? Because I'd, I'd like to get a half of it up front, you know? There are certain people who cannot gift you money in a transaction. You can't have a realtor. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You can't have a realtor who's going to financially gain from selling you the home. Uh, they can't give you um, gift monies. They can give you a credit from their commission towards closing costs, but mm-hmm. they cannot gift you down payment monies to help facilitate a transaction. Um, any Basically, it's limited to your relatives or an employer. Um, anyone outside of that, you'd have to come up with a pretty compelling story. Um, but really as, as long as it's a relative that's got your best interests at heart and isn't going to financially gain from this transaction taking place Mm -hmm. and, um, or your employer, Mm -hmm. you know, who's usually an employer is incentivized to participate in that because you're a talented employee. It's hard to retain people. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps, you know, an area like ours here, Absolutely. San Luis Obispo County, where housing is at a premium, it's hard to, hard to come by. Um, and that is usually one of the catalysts for people leaving. 
this area is not being able to find or afford housing. Very much so. An so an employer would help out, say, hey, well, yeah. you know, I'm going to make sure that you, you quality employee, are going to stick around at my company for a while. So I'm going to help you buy a home and settle down. Mm-hmm. So it's a great thing for employers to do. Um, Do's and don'ts. Uh, gift funds are only allowed on primary residences and second homes, um, not investment properties. So can't receive a gift because you want to buy a second home from mom or dad. Can't use deposits that are gifts on an investment property. Um, but I, I'm so glad you said that. Get, it, a lot of times we have to draw the line as loan officers to say gifts go towards down payment and closing costs, but credits can't go towards down payment. Um, a lot of times I'll hear people say, Hey, I found this property. It's been on the market for 165 days and I think we can offer them, um, way less than what they're asking for. I want to get a gift for everything so I don't have to pay, you know, I want no money down. I want to get this property and I know I can make the payment not, not allowed, you know, but the other way to minimize your cash coming to escrow is the loan programs that we have. You know, we have a great three percent down <coughs> home ready loan that I've seen work wonders. Not just because you only have to put three percent down, but because the way the product itself from Fannie Mae, um, I don't want to say turns a blind eye, but gives you a little bit of a. It's it's less stringent on credit score hits, and it allows the borrower to, on a five hundred thousand dollar home. $15,000 down and, you know, 20000 21000 with closing costs, probably right about what you would need to have. So if you net net that, it's on a $500,000 home, only putting 22000 down is, what is that? That's on, that's not even 5% total. That's, yeah, there's, there's that's a, 4% total. There's to some close. great opportunities to get in to a home purchase with little to no money out of pocket. You know, the ideal way in our county is to use either a VA or a USDA loan. Both of those are zero down loan programs that have great interest rates. Um, they're, they're just amazing opportunities. Um, the mortgage insurance is either non-existent or very, very low. Um, you know, VA has no monthly mortgage insurance, but it has some upfront mortgage insurance. USDA has a small upfront and a small monthly component. But still, when you compare them to a low-down conventional or a low-down FHA, the monthly payments are better mm-hmm. um, because the interest rates are lower. It's just it's a great way to get into housing. We've literally put people into homes with USDA financing with less than $500 cash out of pocket mm-hmm. um, with a, a very reasonable monthly payment. The trick there is that you're you're kind of capped on your purchase price a little bit. Um, for the first time ever, I saw a USDA loan close that where the, the purchase price exceeded the conforming loan limit, which today is $453,100. Um, wow. So yeah, just the perfect storm. There's a you know, USDA has these income thresholds that are based on household size. And so this happened to be a five-person household, which moved them into the next tier of, of income restriction. <clears throat> and so they were like a 100 or so dollars under the annual income limit. Mm. And it just worked out so perfectly. They didn't have a lot of consumer debt. They bought a house for $515,000 with zero down. Wow. It was incredible. And and so these opportunities exist, um, even if you aren't a veteran or you're not finding a home that qualifies for USDA, 
like Mike's saying, there's 3% down conventional options. Um, there's 3.5% down FHA. We have some down payment assistance programs that you can pair with any of those um, loan programs to help bridge that gap of the down payment that is required. Um, so there's there's some different opportunities. There's also a program through San Luis Obispo County for first-time home buyers where you can get a grant <clears throat> that is um, used towards down payment. So th- there's a lot of these different opportunities to um, to to find housing and to minimize your cash out of pocket if that's a, a problem for you. Obviously, gifting is the easiest and most common way for buyers to get into homes that you know they they might struggle to come up with down payment for. But there's these other down payment assistance options as well. I've seen recently we got an inquiry on a Chaffa loan, a Cal HFA um, down payment assistance program. <clears throat> there's another one called Golden State Finance Authority. They have a Sapphire and a Platinum grant program mm-hmm. to help with down payments. There's a lot of different options out there that, you know, when you when you go do a rocket loan on your phone because it's super easy and you see the commercials everywhere, um, they're not telling you about some of these other opportunities to buy housing and, and ways that you can get even free grant monies. It's free. I'm losing the using the term loosely, but you know it's funds that don't need to be repaid. Right. Um, so there, there's always a trade off. There's a lot of opportunities when you meet with an actual real human loan officer. They'll be able to counsel you on all of the the less talked about programs, the less known. Some some loan officers don't even know about some of these programs. There's so many different um, opportunities out there. So, and they're always changing. Yeah. I mean, the one you mentioned, Cal HFA. HFA it's HFA, gone away for a while. It came back because yeah. the tax reform put it on the shelf for a bit. They weren't sure how it's going to work. It's back now. Um, one last thing about <laughs> gifting, which is... Um, I think a really, a really brilliant way to transfer some wealth, whether it be grandparents to grandkids or parents to kids or what have you, uncles to kids, um, is the gift of equity. The gift of equity is a scenario where um, the the donors, the gifters, have a house that they have owned for years. Maybe the loan amount is very small. Maybe the loan amount is paid off and gone. And they can agree on a price to sell the house to their, you know, the borrower, which would be the kids usually. And so in a scenario where you'd have a house that's, that's probably valued at four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000, the grandparents only have a loan amount of $125,000 on this home, and they want to sell it to the kids for 200000 Well, you can get, you will get an appraiser the appraiser's not going to say, oh yeah, this is just a little bit more than 200000 He or she's going to give it market value. Then the parents or the grandparents will get paid in the close of escrow, the 200000 will pay off the note that was on the house. That's the only way to change title. And then they will get a $75,000 check as a sale on their property. The kids will have a very small loan amount and equity right through the passing. What's nice is they don't have to put any money down because when we have that appraisal established and we get value, the difference between their loan amount and the value is now paper equity, if you will, gift. Yeah, it's it's another way of gifting rather than the grandparents depositing cash into escrow for a gift for down payment. They're depositing... You know, 
they're giving up quite a bit of equity. Right. Yeah. They're gifting the equity. The equity is deposited into escrow, if you will. And that's what's being used for down payment. So it's sure. But what did they sell the house for? They sold the house for 200,000. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's they it's like selling it for full price and then kicking back the the proceeds right back to the seller or to the buyer as a gift, you know, because they're relatives or whatever. It's it's just another way of gifting. It's a mm-hmm. it's um, but it's, one thing that this has come up recently was you know the property tax side of that gift I know, of that equity did come up. It doesn't mean that the property tax base will be set at that agreed upon sales price that's clearly below market value. The the county assessor is still going to assess a fair market value and, it. and base property taxes on that fair market value. And these are the ones they probably analyze even more, right? Because we've got maybe not more. I don't know why I said that, but what I, I would say is that they're not they're not just like looking at numbers on in a file and reassessing. There's a full, and I'd love to get Philip Bentoncourt, one of our county tax assessors, on the show. He said maybe in three and a half years, Mike, because my kids are too young right now. And uh, his Saturdays are full of going to the sandbox. But he told me the full gamut of what they have to do when they get these files. Anytime ownership changes or permits are taken out on a property, your file goes on to his desk to reassess the pro- the property tax. Mm. So, yeah, that actually came up in that conversation I had this week with the gift of equity, Dan. She said, how do we keep our Prop 13 tax basis? And I said, you just... You, you, this is a sale, ma'am. I mean, you're selling the house. Um, they're going to see that what they do is they assess what you sold it for. That's recorded. But then they look at other comparable houses in the area and what the average square footage is selling for in that area. Interesting. So were the sellers in that situation, were they over the age of 55? I'm, I do not know. I do not know. But I, they. It's. it was a grandparent situation, I would imagine. So, yeah. Interesting, because there is the Wes was on the show last week. We were talking a little bit about Prop 60 and some proposed changes that CAR, California Association of Realtors, um, is is working really hard to get an initiative on this November ballot to change how that property tax transfer will work in the future. Right now, you're limited to um, basically finding a home, a replacement home of equal or lesser value to the one you're selling. I wonder if in a situation where you're, the home you're selling is a gift of equity situation and you agree on a clearly a, a below market um, sales price because it's to a relative, I wonder how that affects that Prop 60 transfer if you're mm-hmm. limited to the, sale, the agreed upon sales price or if you can actually find a replacement home that's up to the fair market value of the home that you're selling. I want to look at that too. That's interesting. That's a lot of arbitrage, right? Because yeah. you get to keep the basis. What do you pay taxes on? You pay taxes on the sale, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of arbitrage. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So much to know. So much to know. By, since I touched on it, and we, and we talked about it last week. If you didn't listen last week, um, California Association of Realtors has found that people stay in their homes a lot longer than, than historically is, has been the case, or at least believed to be the case. Um, and in fact, it wasn't just limited to California. It was a nationwide figure that people um, nationally are staying in their homes um, on a nationwide basis for an average of 13 years. And in California, for an average of about 20 or more years. And so what we're not seeing is the same kind of turnover of the existing housing stock that we had seen in the past um, 
you know, traditionally we've always believed that it was a five to seven year cycle that a homeowner would stay in a home and then look to upgrade, downsize, do whatever, move, whatever they do. Um, and that existing housing stock would turn over much more frequently than is the case today. And the belief among the real estate community is that it has a lot to do with the property tax base and that by changing the property tax transfer opportunity, expanding it really, that it would help turn over some of these existing homes more frequently to help the supply demand crunch that we have that we've been experiencing for more than a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the proposed changes that the Association of Realtors would like to see would be to not limit it to one t- a one-time transfer, make it an unlimited time transfer. Still have the age restriction, but once you're over the age of 55, not limit it to once. Have because be- the evidence shows that it's not going to happen, you know. Right. It's not likely to happen a lot. Frequently. But just if it needs to happen a second time, why, why restrict it? The other would be not to restrict the value, but to... Um, just, you know, if, if you're going to sell a $500,000 home and buy a $700,000 home, you can transfer the base on the first 500000 but then you're paying the current market base on the remaining 200000 mm-hmm. So that's a way to um, take advantage, mm-hmm. but still kind of, you mm-hmm. know, a hybrid solution there. Absolutely. Um, and then also the, the other big change was to not restrict it by county. Right now, really, these transfers can only occur within the same county. There's, I think, seven or eight of the 58 counties in California that will accept an outside transfer. And El Dorado so, County is one of them. So this other um, proposal would be to make it a mandatory thing that statewide, every county has to accept a transfer. Yeah, I do think I do think that that's good because if you look at the microeconomics, right, you, you never want to apply a cost to what we're trying to achieve or like, you know, if you're if, if the transaction requires a reoccurring cost that jumps up enough, moves the graph enough, then they're just going to be paralyzed and sit tight. Mm -hmm. In that age bracket, monthly personal budget is so important, paramount. When you're in your 30s and 40s, you set a budget. You certainly should. Some of you don't, but you should. Mm -hmm. And you miss it some months. Some months you're under. But that's okay because I think you have the propensity to make more money in this age bracket. At that, from 55 to 75, I mean, they're just collecting checks. Yeah, a lot of people are on fixed income. So that $400 a month increase yeah. is like, oof. And just I just want to say this to our listeners. If you look up Proposition 60, make sure you're looking up the Proposition 60 yeah. that's a derivative <laughs> of Prop 13. What's the other Not one? Not the like? one in 2016, which has to do with uh, uh, movie. adult film <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> conduct. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Prop 60 from, I think it's 1986 yeah. or something Not like that. Not the 2016 or 2016. Is, uh, is the one we're referencing, and it has to do with property tax um transfers we're so, in no way affiliated with the other one <laughs> um and just for those of you who are <laughs> really into this kind of thing and interested in helping the affordable housing issue that is it's everywhere in our country really um every realtor is working on gathering signatures to to add this initiative to the november ballot so if if you haven't been contacted by a realtor or heard about this from from anyone you can proactively reach out to a local realtor and tell them you want to sign that petition you want to see that prop 60 uh, property tax transfer opportunity expanded and Mm -hmm. and um and you want to be a part of that 
that effort, you know, reach out. They're all gl- collecting signatures, um, so it's a good thing. Wes was supposed to get our signatures last weekend, Jim, and, uh, you know, we got to talking right after the show, what and happened? we left, and we didn't even sign anything. Yeah, you didn't, nothing. Hmm. That's too bad. Yeah. No. That's too I bad. I know. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Dan. It's so important for us to get involved because I think a lot of times life is just busy and you want change to happen, but you don't know how to make it. How, how, what's the first step, right? Mm-hmm. We can sit around a cup of coffee or a nice cold beer and talk about what we want to have happen, but you got to take action in this world. That's why um, you know being part of democracy is so great. Another thing in the Home Builders Association that we're heavily focusing on is the discussions of CEQA, which is the California Environmental Quality Act, and it talks about, you know, other parts in this county, land, where are we going to have land open up for more housing? I mean, we have housing now that's a big topic, almost over 3,000 units coming onto the market between Rigetti Ranch, Avalo Ranch, and San Luis Ranch here in Slow Proper. But, you know, if you want to, if you're worried about affordable housing, you need to have land to build the housing. These houses that we have now are not going to change in price. You know? Yeah, this week I um, we put something on our website, on our blog about all the different developments that are either for sale now or in the planning phase, so you can kind of keep track of what's of what's here and what's coming as far as new housing stock. How would a listener or view that? That's just right on our um, website. Yeah, I was just trying to go. I think it's on the um, the blog portion of our website. Okay. Where um, so centralcoastlending dot com. Yeah. And our homepage does a pretty good job of calling out. Of course, I'm not finding it. Right who now, we so. are, about us, and everything. So, uh, listeners, we're getting to the top of the hour here. We're going to take a short break uh, for our sponsors. Please stick around. The next hour is going to be just as good as the first. So uh, grab a cup of coffee and we'll talk to you in just a couple minutes. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. sounds a little the like what the bed itself is a little oh. yeah is the bed the, the baseline what is the bed the music, the oh, music oh, bed oh. Itself. yeah a little like 70s porn to me well it <laughs> is, I, is i'm pretty great. sure this song was made in the 70s yeah yeah 
Pretty sure. Anyway, <laughs> it's good. We were when we wrapped up the first hour. We were talking about money and how to get it into escrow to close. But you know, there's so many different things that happen in these loan transactions that can be complicated or more complicated than they need to be. Um, you know, Dan. Earlier this week, I had a, a transaction where, um, unfortunately, a, another lender out of the county conducted business with our borrower because he helps his mom pay for everything. He's a good guy. He's in his mid-40s. Mom's in her 70s. He's taking care of mama. And um, he pays for the mortgage payment. He sat down with them. They said, look, here's what we'll do. You want to refi mom's mortgage on her condo? Um, up in the Bay Area, um, you know, we need to get these things qualified. Him did everything they were supposed to do for the underwriting piece, but they made it his primary and didn't put mom on the note, and actually took mom off the deed altogether. So, to the untrained eye, he was thinking, "Oh, okay, well, yeah, I pay for it, so sure, I'll, I don't see why she has to be on the note." Um, and shouldn't mom be on the deed because, you know, she's, it's still her house, but they had said, I mean, it's not necessary. We don't, she's not a borrower. She doesn't need to be on the deed. So I was referred to him come December because he wanted to, an agent, he lives in Santa Barbara, an agent that knows him well said, Hey Mike, you know, working with this guy, he needs, he's trying to get a loan on his house in Santa Barbara. And this all came up. So essentially we've got three real issues here. The first issue is he signed a note that said that this place would be his primary residence and he's supposed to move in within 60 days, but he doesn't live there. Mom does. That's not good. That's an occupancy fraud issue. Uh, Secondly, took mom off of the deed because he was kind of advised to. And so now when I'm putting her back on the deed as we're doing this refinance, title's thinking that it's a purchase because I'm adding someone to the the title and they're treating it like a purchase. And the third thing is, you know, he's got to do a whole new loan that he just did in October and he bought down the rate and points and things of that nature. So this is all to add the mom back to title. Well, what it's trying to do is, I mean, he's, it's not a primary residence. The note is not constructed correctly. Right. He's, so there's concern that, well, he's violating the law. Right. He didn't want to do that. But, you know, when you break it all down, if mortgage, excuse me, occupancy fraud and mortgage fraud is, is, is investigated by the FBI, this guy's doing everything he can in his other life, excuse me, his business life to do things above board, legit. Right. Why would he take the risk of doing this? You see, there's a gray area there, but he's, he's not happy with how he was advised. So we are just going to help him get out of it. And Interesting. those three issues come up. What what we're doing now and, and how we resolve title is that she had to go and put herself back on title so that our preliminary title would reflect her being on title. And now now that gives them that gives that county the ability to reassess the property tax based on that activity. Right. Yeah, that's that's an issue that a lot of people don't realize is when you have unmarried people um, even if they're related, even if they're mother and son or, you know, whatever, if you have unmarried people going on and off of title, that is a reassessment trigger. Mm-hmm. That is an event that um, that would send a red flag over to the assessor's office to reassess that property. 
And, um, and so that's, that's an issue that shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, you know, monkeying around with title is something you should never do unless you understand what your actions are, you know, what the, the results of your actions are going to be. You can always call the County tax assessor's office and Mm -hmm. and ask those questions, those hypotheticals before you do something, which I had them do once they're not there to advise you. So, I mean, I mean like the people actually take your documents and record them. If you turn in a document and it's going to change how title is held or who's on title, they're not going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to receive that document, record it, and that change is going to be effective. So you need to have done all your homework prior um, to making that change and make sure you know what you're doing and how it's going to affect your property taxes or your ownership interest or whatever. It's, It's not something to take lightly. Same thing when people hold title like in an LLC, right, Dan, and then they decide to change it back to or vice versa, if they change it from their name to an LLC. Gosh, Mike, bringing up this topic, you are making me think of a nightmare scenario that we encountered. I want to say it was about two years ago now. Uh, a local woman in Morro Bay uh, owned her home with her husband. They they owned it for about, I think, seven years or so together. Um, you know, circumstances in their life changed. They ended up getting a divorce. And... Um, the wife was awarded ownership of the property mm-hmm. uh, through the settlement. And so the the problem was, was that they never recorded the grant deed. She also, they were both on the loan. And so there was an obligation to get the husband off of the loan at the earliest opportunity that the wife could qualify Understood. for that. So that was a trick. You know, she didn't have a lot of income. It was... So it was years later. Right, because the court didn't obligate him to make the payment. She just got the asset. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was years later that she came to us, this is a couple years ago now, um, to do a refinance. She wanted, you know, rates were really good, wanted to get into that nice low rate, thought she could get her dad involved as a co-signer. Got it. To help finally get the ex-husband off of the loan and off of title. Um. You know, they because the grant deed was never recorded to remove him from title. So we go to do the refinance, and during the middle of the transaction, we found that the husband had some income tax liens from our good old United States Treasury um, mm-hmm. for unpaid income taxes for mm-hmm. several years in a row that were recorded against the property. Ouch. And all the tax liens were from years after the divorce. But she had never removed him from title by recording that grant deed. Right. So we, you know, title comes to us with this dilemma and we're like, well, what do we do? She has to go petition the U.S. Treasury, the IRS, to get these liens removed from title if they'll even do it. I mean, he is on title. So there's, that's what they do. They lien property. And a a real estate attorney would have to prove the sequence of events, so if, he, if he or she could. We thought it was going to be months, if not years, to sort this out. I don't know if she knew somebody at the IRS or what, but she was able to get it done in a matter of weeks and get those liens removed from her home. Mm-hmm. Um, she explained that she had the the you know the divorce agreement that showed that she was the rightful owner of that house and that he was not and that really it was just a failure to record a grant deed that resulted in this 
this these liens being recorded against her property mm-hmm. um, where when they shouldn't have been. And so they they unwound it all for her and fairly quickly. So we were able to complete the refinance and she wasn't obligated for those income tax liens. But my, oh my, what a can of worms that that could have been so much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. again, I guess the message is it's, you can never make sure that your uh, vesting on title is correct enough. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something you should revisit periodically and just make sure is this is this the right way to hold title? Yep. And, uh, you know, make sure you're consulting people that do know. I think a lot of times people want to call title and say you're our escrow and say, OK, well, you sent me these papers. What do you suggest? Their job is a third party neutral party is just to just to take documents and make sure they get filed. Yeah, they don't want to assume that liability of advising you and, and heaven forbid they advise you incorrectly that costs you financially. They don't they don't want to assume that liability. So I bet we've found it in um some counties they won't even they won't even advise they won't even take the vesting. They don't even have a vesting um document. Typically in our county, escrow will send a homeowner um a a form that they fill out of how they want to hold title. Yep. We've, we've ran into some transactions in other counties where escrow won't even send out that form. They don't even want to get involved. Mm-hmm. They, they put it on us as the lender, which we're kind of in the same boat. We don't want to assume any liability for that. We know so. what form to get filled out. Right. We know that. So yeah. It, and really quick. And if you recall, maybe you don't, but um, you said in that scenario, the nightmare scenario, that she was going to get her dad to come on as a co-borrower. And if that happens in a refinance, does the co-borrower need to be on title? Any borrower, um, any applicant on the loan will also need to be on title and would really, I would think, want to be on title. But Uh, if you have a non-occupant co-borrower, they're not necessarily needing to be on title. uh, Yeah, they are. They should be. Well, not all lenders require that the deed is owned by all borrowers. And like one of our investors does not require that to happen on a refinance. Hmm. Maybe you're thinking, but on a purchase, anyone that's going, that's borrowing to purchase the asset needs to be on the purchase agreement and the deed at the close of escrow. And then if it's usually, I brought it all up because I'm in another transaction where this is coming up, where the parents are going to help, the daughter buy the house instead of a gift of funds. They're going to come on and be a borrower so that they can own the house with the daughter. Um, they have to declare with escrow what their percentage of ownership is, you know, and the parents want to own 95% of the house. They're the, they're even though they're not occupying the home, they're the reason this transaction can continue. And that other 5% is going to go to their child but the child is married. So she would have to share that 5% with her husband at some length. So there's all these things to consider. And, you know, that advice wasn't given by me. It was just let them know that I need you guys on title. So you need to figure that out. At some point you will have to declare ownership. If you do it joint tenants, it's 50, 50. So sounds like they were working through more of a tenants in common situation where you can, you can declare, declare the percentage ownership. Yep. So yeah, there's lots of different ways to hold title. The most common ways we see are either joint tenancy or community property. 
Yeah, because you usually have a married family or, or or you have an individual, right? Or you know, gentleman, who, whoever it is. Usually, you're going in on it together, and if one of you um, passes away or something, you, typically what we see is is that the ownership interest would go to that other owner, right? But there are situations where if yeah, you're maybe it's two friends who are buying a home, and you know maybe one friend wants you know any ownership interest to air to their kids or something like that um that would be a situation where um maybe joint tenancy or community property is not the correct way to hold title yeah right so you'd have to declare the trust and all that jazz so but the bigger point here is that title is serious business so back it is serious business back to the the initial example i had this borrower is coming to us to solve a problem but all this was discovered all, all he wanted to do when I first met him on the phone is do his primary residence in in Santa Barbara. But right when you have when we put someone on a loan, Dan, a new loan, and we'd go to pull credit, that new loan shows up, and they have to be responsible for both payments, right? Unless we can prove that someone else is making that payment consecutively for the last twelve months, right? So a lot of times, parents will go on this loan thinking, "I'm just a cosigner. That 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 loan's not my responsibility." My daughter is paying for it, or my son and daughter are paying for it. If you go to get your next house, mom and dad, and it hasn't been 12 months yet, we can show that the kids have been paying consecutively for it. Well, guess what? You now have to qualify for the house you're going to buy and the house you helped her buy. And so you get in this weird situation. I always bring that question up. It's great that you're helping. What are your real estate desires, wants, goals in the next two years, mom and dad? We're going to stay in our house forever. Okay, great. Have you done your refinance that you love? Yes, we have. Okay, great. So that this next 12 months is... You're not likely to do another loan transaction in the next couple of years. So. Right. Where you think, oh, why didn't he tell us that? Right. Now we're looking to move from our big house down into a smaller house. We have to wait six months and the price is going to go up X in six months. Yeah. To that, I don't like that term co-signer when it comes to a mortgage transaction. You're a signer. There is, there's no such thing as a co-signer, some, you know, lesser level of, of interest in the transaction. If you're, if you're party to a loan transaction, you're an applicant or a co-applicant. You're either, you're either an applicant on a loan or you're not. There is no, there's this term co-signer is something that I think of like when I was in college renting a, a house from a property management company and I didn't have great income. credit or something. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of credit. I didn't have great income because I'm a full-time student. But, you know, the, the landlord or the property manager wants to have some kind of financial backing, something to back up that I say that I'm going to pay the rent every month. So they oftentimes they want a parent to co-sign. That's a co-sign situation. Mm-hmm. When you're on a mortgage... You're either applying for a mortgage or you're not. Yeah. Let me put it even clearer. Mm-hmm. When there's a foreclosure letter, your name is going to be on right. it. Yes. That's, this is why you're either an applicant or you're not. You are 100% obligated for the repayment of that loan in full. You don't have half mm-hmm. the responsibility. You're not responsible for half the amount borrowed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're responsible for 100% of the amount borrowed as an applicant on a mortgage. My phone call with a daughter or son is, that's great that your parents want to sign with you. I need to talk to them today, early tomorrow, for about 10 minutes without you on the phone. 
because I need them to know the ifs and buts, the good, bad, and the ugly of doing this. Yeah. And I think a lot of them really do appreciate that. Wow. Uh, thank you. I didn't know it went that far. We're still going to do it. But man, I learned a lot on this phone call today because right. I thought I was signing a lease. Right. Uh, co-signing. Yeah. yeah. It's different. I, my thing about co-signing, because I've been asked to co-sign before too, not on home loans, but on car loans and stuff too. Sure. It's like, you, you got to know the person has the wherewithal and the, the, sure. the, the ability to actually pay every month and you know you, you care about the people and you but you have to understand too that if they don't pay you're on the hook for that whole loan and you yep. know you don't want to that's right you don't want to um put yourself in that position unless you know for sure that they actually have the ability to pay that loan well, I'm so glad you said that, Jim. In this scenario, the one we're talking about, the parents were going to give $60,000, okay? That came out to be about 13% down on this transaction. I said, look, let's do 10% down and a fraction over 10% so you get the better mortgage insurance. Keep eight grand in a bank account and let's use that as a reserve. If they can't make a payment, use it from that, you know? Don't put all this money down. Yes, the payment goes up a little bit every month, but the moment she calls yeah. you, you've got a bank account ABC over here. Okay, honey, here's here's yeah. the payment. We are now at eight thousand minus fourteen hundred. Right. You know, keep yourself in a buffer zone. That's just good risk management. I I advise that to them to do that. They decided not to do it. They're going to put the full sixty thousand in the property, but you know, discussions like that need to be had. Yeah. Here's another really quick before we go to another break, uh, another great reason why you would have someone co-applicant with you and sign on. Let's say you're in a business where you do make a good amount of money, but you can't really report the income well or you can't track it well. Let's say you're a bartender and you make $40,000 a year, but you know 28000 of that is tips. Cash tips and that you go undeclared. Yeah, I mean, that's your job, but you have the money. You make cash deposits. If you're smart, you make them every time you get them. Otherwise, the cash has a way of leaving your wallet. But that person on an application looks like they make 1200 bucks a month. The parents are okay because they know Junior makes $40,000 a year. He's just working at a bar because he's either in school still or he just wants to be a bartender, and that's okay. He can't get a loan. He can't get a loan anywhere because the income that I can verify is 1200 bucks. Now, if you jump on that loan, you're a co-applicant, you're a co-applicant, but you know that he's going to make the payment. Yeah. Unless, you know, the bar catches on fire or something. Yeah. Well, luckily there's lots of those it, businesses around where you can go get a new job. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, there's lots of situations, you know, we're not going to sit here and talk about whether or not that's right tax wise, but it, it's a reality that we run into where it's hard there, to prove that income. There can be there's situations where there's undeclared income or, you know, there's sometimes there's frustrations. You know, it's frustrating for us in the mortgage world where there's income we just simply can't count, mm -hmm. although we know it's there. For instance, if if we have a you know, there, I can't tell you how many um, loans we've done for younger people who have roommates. They rent out rooms in their house. Right. Um, you know, they're still That's kind right. of living that young lifestyle where they're cohabitating with friends and, you know, but they have the financial ability or desire to to own the home and, and, and be that responsible party. But they're they're also um, 
you know, savvy enough to know that, hey, me paying this payment and living here alone all by myself isn't necessarily the smartest financial thing I can do. I'm going to have some friends live here. It'll be more fun and it'll reduce my cost. And mm. But we can't count the that income, that monthly income, those room rents yeah. um, as income on an application. So it's there's things like that where there's this either unreported income or income that we know exists but just cannot be counted in a mortgage transaction that mm-hmm. might make someone appear less creditworthy on paper but they're um but really they have the financial ability to afford something and so that's where that co-applicant situation can really um help out and right. the co-applicant themselves can feel good about the assistance they're giving because they know this person can um, you know, handle the payment. They just are having trouble making it all work on paper. And what's great about that, before we go to the break, I want to add this too. You know, you can talk to the co-applicant and the applicant and say, look, after two, what you're talking about is border income. If you can show on your tax returns for two years that you collected rent, you show you have leases, you show that you put this on your tax return as this room, not your house, this room was part of you making money Many investors will explore border income and you can use it as income to to refinance. I've done a transaction with Plaza Home Mortgage where they the gentleman was instructed well enough, not by me, but beforehand to put this income on their property. Dad was on title and on the loan with him. After two years, we took dad off. He qualified all by himself with the income he got from the property. Hmm. You take gross rents and you back out the expenses that they have, and that is the income. You have to show the lease. You have to show that that person still lives there. They have to have a driver's license that shows the address or a bank statement that shows the address, and you can use that as new income and take the co-applicant off. All right. I think we need to take another break here. We're approaching 1030, and it's time to give our sponsors uh, another opportunity to uh, tell you how to reach them and get a hold of them. Um, Our sponsors have been with us for a long time, and we do really appreciate the service provided by both Patterson Realty and Blakesley and Blakesley, trusted advisors to us um, and uh, and in their industries. They're both highly regarded. So um, we hope that you'll stick around and finish out Mortgage Matters with us right after this quick commercial break. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. can't begin to knowing but then I know it's growing strong wasn't the spring and spring became the summer who'd have believed you'd come along Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you Sweet Caroline Ba, ba, ba So good So good So good Oh man Alright Terrific Got it. You know, that never gets old. No. I know. Why? Why? <laughs> there is a rumor that he wants to try to end it in Los Angeles. Really? Which is where it started at the Troubadour. So, isn't Neil Diamond from uh, like the Boston area? Yeah, but I, I would guess think he that would be kick. the place yeah. to do the. They drive out to L.A. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Just like Nirvana. <laughs> anyway. Cool. There's that rumor. We'll like see. that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan. Thank you for mentioning that. I did do so. Border income we talked about is only allowed through one program known as the Home Ready program, which allows for border income. You can't, yeah. just, you can't just throw that out willy-nilly on any loan. <laughs> border income is something that's evolved over the last 10 years or so. Um, and I remember the property being in Grover Beach, which is fully no max, no income limit on home ready. the home ready products yeah. so that's why it all fit in that perfect little box yeah it's this that's, is why it's important if you're ever doing internet research to check out the date that an article is <laughs> right, written right or if you're consulting right. with a loan officer to make sure they're co- current on their guidelines because this issue of border income has evolved over the last 10 years rewind 10 years ago you could use border income Pretty much all the time for qualifying income, if you could document a history of it. Um, But as guidelines have evolved over the last 10 years or so, we're really limited to only using um, rental income on a true second unit or, or, you know, a true... yeah, secondary unit, not even a granny unit where right. it shares a meter and and shares a lot of those features of the of the main home. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would have to be a separately metered secondary unit in order to use that rental income. Now, that's that's one of the things. It, it can be kind of frustrating because I know a lot of houses around here have 
some pretty um, well-developed, built-out, um, what are they called, ADUs, accessory dwelling accessory units? Accessory dwelling units. Or the units. granny unit. So the it's over-the-garage unit. Yeah, it's not a true yeah. second unit. It's not. It doesn't have separate um, meters for that it might unit. might have a bathroom, but it doesn't have a separate meter. Right, yeah. So it's... It, it, and and people will rent those out. You'll see that all the time. It's a great way to get some extra income on your property, especially when it's detached, like over the garage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's for whatever reason in the mortgage world that it's considered border income, which is not considered to be a stable source of income. And therefore, it's not allowed to be factored into um, income qualification on a mortgage. Think of it this way, right? You talked, you but you gave the perfect scenario, Dan. You said uh, a younger individual wants to own the house, take pride in ownership, take the benefits of ownership, and they have their friends stay there, right? I did this for the first, oh, seven, eight years of owning a home. Right. I rented out every room but my own, because why not? <laughs> At one point in your life, you meet a gal, you meet a guy, you want to you wanna make this a home now, and you say, hey, look, guys, this is 60-day warning. She's moving in. I need you all out. We're starting a family here. All that income is gone. Right. She has income, but she's not on the loan. You know, you're that what we qualified you with is is gone. So I think underwriters look at it that way that the house it is fluid, but if you had a second unit, would you keep a second unit if you got married? Heck yeah. Yeah. You'd still keep that thing. Absolutely. You might even move out and rent them both out. Cuz she doesn't like sharing the driveway with the the guy in the back. Yeah. My case. Yeah, I guess I guess the issue, you know, any source of any income used in mortgage qualification, the general rule of thumb in order to use it is that there's a two year history of receiving it and there's a three year likelihood of continuance. So I think with that border income, the problem becomes the likelihood of continuance for three years. Mm -hmm. How do you establish that Mm -hmm. when you have a true secondary unit that has a separate address with second meters? You're not likely to live between two separate units. Um you're more likely to rent out that second unit. Mm-hmm. It's just what you would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess that's that's where the logic comes in and not using that. I'm of the opinion, though, that there are a, plenty of resourceful people. I myself was one for a long time where I saw the advantages of renting out rooms and you know, the, I knew I was going to continue doing it for a period of time until... You know, situation changed, but I don't know. So it's a little, it can be frustrating at times. I was surprised. I actually found this guideline the other day in researching that home ready program that they would allow border income. So yes, if that is the difference between a borrower qualifying or not, um, investigating the home ready program, which is a Fannie Mae program as an op as a financing option is a great opportunity to look at what you would have to show during escrow to get that income to count in a home ready product would be a signed lease and a security deposit deposited into the borrower's account from the the tenant, if you will. So that has to, you can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to rent it. Right. You can't just show up. We can't just get an appraiser to say what it would rent for. Appraisers aren't going to tell you what a room would rent for. They're going to laugh at you. They'll probably charge you 150 bucks and go out and try to figure it out. And then laugh at you. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's, so yeah, border income, that's a fun little topic there. Another Uh, great one. So it can be used only in a specific situation with a specific loan program. Um, You know, I, there were some interesting um, news items that came up this week that I thought we could touch on. Um, One that has been uh, 
great news for us in the mortgage industry is that mortgage applications have have really been it feels like booming here to start the year and to end the year last year yeah the end of the year last year was we saw a lot of um increase in mortgage activity mortgage application activity i should say mm-hmm. and we're seeing it continue here into into january mortgage applications for um for this past week were at their highest level in 10 months um or at least the yeah mortgage oh no interest rates are the highest level in 10 months but still in spite of that wah, 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 wah. Um, applications are up uh, about six percent you know um, what's good about that though is you know i've seen in south county i've been sending this to you and jason um the listing activity is up so yeah. when agents get out and create market people will buy it we see it all the time we don't have we have a shortage of good so shall we say affordable income excuse me affordable housing here in County, but people are still looking to move into a house. Oh, absolutely. You know, down, whether, and, and you've got both age cycles now coming in. You've got the people trying to grow a family. You've got the elderly trying to downsize. That $500,000 house price range is going real quick. Yeah. Starting to see some luxury homes come on the market again to sell, maybe because they think this is the best price I'm going to get. You know, so right between 800 and 1.2 million in South County, there's definitely ones higher. But um, that's a tricky little price point, you know, for for an application one where you'd want to you'd want to have a, a good amount down, and you might have a jumbo loan situation where we we could talk to you about a variety of different loans. But I'm seeing all types of listings coming on, which makes sense, right? Because when you see listings go up, you should see applications go up. Yeah, um, Wes Burke was on the show. Wes Burke's the broker and owner of Patterson Realty. Um, he was on the show last week and sharing with us a new home development down in South County in the, I think technically it's, it was in Arroyo Grande. It is in Arroyo Grande. Um, you know, the, the county or the, the city perimeter or boundaries get kind of weird down there. Yeah. It's in Arroyo Grande. It's right. It's right. It's off it's of Portland Street. Rover Beach. Yeah, it's it's, it's right like on the edge Rover there. Beach goes the, the city yeah. limits go it's right the, through the, the Trillium back. development yeah. is the one, and and their new homes, um, in a, a a nice little development. He said it was about a third sold so far. Um, various stages of development within this community. Some are built, and some have yet to be built. Um, and they're starting in the 500,000 range. So it's right in that entry-level price point for our area. Uh, for But it's brand new construction, which is awesome. You mm-hmm. know, Got to love that. So there are a lot of opportunities in South County. That seems to be where there's more supply. And then in North County as well, more supply. The closer yep. you get to San Luis Obispo City is where you start to see the supply wane a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you go into, you know, further south into northern Santa Barbara County, Santa Maria area, Orchid, you get a lot of, lot of, um, lot more supply down there as There's well. There's going to be a lot of activity in northern Santa Barbara the next five years. A lot. So, but it's great to see um, the applications um, pick up and continue to pick up here for the month of February. It shows me that people aren't, you know, we're we're not seeing discouraged 
um, buyers out there. We're seeing people who, if anything, this rise in interest rates or maybe it was just a New Year's resolution or whatever, um, people are motivated to try to find housing and get pre-approved and and go through those steps. So there's still interest in housing um, and in, in that home ownership. So we're seeing a lot of applications. I've seen our application activity pick up about 30% since the end of last year. So that's exciting to see. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned in, in spite of the continued affordability issue, we're, we're seeing this application activity pick up. We, we did have uh, the FHFA house price index come out this past week. And um, that showed that year over year, uh, price appreciation was at six and a half percent. This was a November, November to November reading, and October's reading was revised higher to 6.8%. So really, it's reflecting what we've seen for the last probably two years or so, that price appreciation nationally has been right around 65 to 7%. Yeah. And, and honestly, in this part of, of South County I'm talking about, I, I've seen people that have picked up homes in, in 13 and 14 do refis with 5% down and get out of mortgage insurance. No I question. continue to see that as the, especially for younger people who are buying their first home, um, that formula of of putting minimum down, because saving for the down payment's the hardest part. Right, like we talked about in the beginning yeah, of the I mean, show. Yeah, I mean, it can literally take years and years um, to save a 20% down payment. And it continues to be, um, well, the target moves, right? As you're saving 20% right. of what? As homes appreciate 7% a year, you have to save more, more each year to just reach that that 20% mark. And it continues to be this topic in national media, like it's just a given that you have to have 20% down to buy a home. And it's that's not the case. What we see most often is people using loan programs that allow 3 or 5% down and they get in with that minimum down payment, live in the home, improve the home, make their payments every month, enjoy a little bit of home appreciation just through the market um, movement. And then with the sweat equity and the market movement, after a couple of years, they can refi, get out of mortgage insurance, um, maybe even pull a little cash out to do additional home improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's just it, it just seems to me that that has been the winning formula for the past five or more years. Yeah. And I want to add that mortgage, the servicer for the mortgage bank typically likes to see you have your MI on the loan for 24 months. And, and usually that's, you're going to get some pushback between months, let's say 12 and 24. You should push back against them because the fact of the matter is if you, if you own, this is if you do an appraisal, not a refi, if you do an appraisal to show that bank that your equity is now at 80% of, excuse me, your equity is 20% of what the home's valued at. But, you know, work on that, but just plan that if you're going to have MI, you're probably going to have it for 24 months. That's what the servicer wants. I mean, really the MI is some, it's an insurance policy paid for by the homeowner protecting 
the, the mortgage servicer. Right. So of course, yeah, they they'd like you to have it for the life of the loan. I have a client that we've I've been giving them enough information to be dangerous on what to say with their servicer and they're getting out of their MI, but it's just a process. Yeah, it can and be they difficult. Put, they put fifteen percent down. They didn't put so they're ready like year one to get out of it. Because the numbers right. are the numbers. I mean, they they know that they own seventy seven percent of this house based on some CMAs that they've done, but they haven't gotten the appraisal yet. So um You can always try to do a reason to disclaimer. get out of mortgage insurance. But yeah, the there's some wording in the mortgage insurance um, policies that suggests that there could be a two-year minimum for it. But really, what we found um, is that it's it's really up it's servicer discretion. Yeah. As far as how long there is truly no minimum. I mean, that's the that's the reality. Well, the interpretation no minimum, of that. But it's how the servicer interprets it, and it's to their benefit to have you pay that mortgage 100%. insurance premium. For as long as possible, so they're going to try to suggest that there is a two-year minimum. It's something that that can be problematic, yep. and and but we're you know if for any of our clients, we're more than willing to jump in and help out absolutely with that, uh, negotiation. Absolutely, I, I like the idea of. I mean, so many times we see people have you know, let's say you have twenty percent, but that's all you have. Okay, fifteen percent down is okay. Mortgage insurance on on a loan that's $400,000 is probably going to be 68 to $85 a month. Keep that 20 grand in your pocket, please. Keep it as an insurance policy. So basically you're paying uh, let's just round it up to 100. You're paying 100 bucks a month to have access to 20,000 liquid. Where are you going to get 20,000 borrowed for 100 bucks a month? You're not. And I can tell you being a third-year homeowner, first-time homeowner for my third year, I know every aisle in Home Depot. I know the guy, Mike, who works in electricity because I go buy stuff for the home that I own. I need money. You know, if I if I fell on my keys running home, let's say, and injured myself and I couldn't work for two months because my leg is so badly bruised that I, that I can't work, I want to use some of that money to make my mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. These are just scenarios I like to walk my borrowers through because it's not just purchasing a house. It's creating a portfolio of your wealth and the real estate's in the middle of it. Absolutely. Don't rent a house if you can pay for a mortgage. We had a couple of other um, real estate-related reports that came out this week. We had existing and new home sales reports um, that are always fun to look at. The um, existing home sales fell a little bit in December from November, which isn't unexpected. That's the time of the year when people are focused more on the holidays than trying to transact real estate. So we saw... Um, a little bit of a decline there. Um, supply of existing homes fell from three and a half months supply in November to 3.2 months supply in December, which is a 19 year low. Ouch. So it's just, you know, continuing the narrative that we've been talking about for so long is that supply is really what's dictating this market right now. Um, I do believe we'll see a lot of supply this year. I locally, absolutely. It would be nice. 2019, be nice. late 2018, 19. I mean, it's just the writing is so on the wall. The builders, it's not that the builders don't want to build. It's that it takes a while. Right. And we're finally seeing, I mean, we've been talking about some of these new projects for nearly a decade and finally they're becoming units for sale. 
um, in our area. So we're, we are seeing that. And I love that California Association of Realtors is seeing this issue of the existing housing stock yeah. not turning over um, as frequently as it used to. And they're doing something to address that issue as well. So I think with, with these efforts, there's obviously a lot of focus and attention on this need for additional housing supply in our growing population. And and so there's, you know, there's, there's some action taking place. But in spite of all these um, continued increases in home values, we're still seeing a lot of uh, new application activity in our industry. So there's the level of interest isn't isn't going away at all. And it's not refinances, right? No. The the lion's share is purchase. It's so heavily weighted towards purchase. Yeah. I want to say the breakdown of activity for our business, and we've always been really good at capturing refinance business Mm -hmm. because the interest rates we offer are so, so good. Um, But And and we're famous. I mean, we're on the radio. Yeah. I mean, we're just the it company. (laughs) So, but um, in... In spite of our, you know, even with our ability to capture uh, refi business, we're still about 70% purchase right now. Mm-hmm. So, so much of this new activity is is purchase activity. Um, on the new home sales side, we saw a, eesh, I even hate to say this, a decline in new home sales for December of 9.3%. Is that year over year, month, like month to month comparison or just... From November to December, we went down. Mm. Tough to say. Yeah, I'm, it doesn't. It doesn't say. Sometimes these reports aren't good at clarifying that. Yeah, it doesn't say. I think it's a month to month number. It sounds like everything's been set up with the frame of like, here's what happened in the month of December. Yeah. Versus before. But here's the good news on this new home sales side, and I think it speaks to what we're talking about. That developers are working to bring new units um, to market, but it just takes time. Um, what we did see in the same new home sales report is that um, the months of supply of new homes improved to 5.7 months of supply from November, where it was at 4.9 months of supply. So significant increase in the supply of new homes for sale out there. And I think that will continue to improve as we see more new projects come on. Absolutely. There's headwind in every of those projects. In the Rigetti Ranch project, um, a bald eagle decided to have a nest within a certain vicinity. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay, but you got to stop for two months due to environmental laws, which I don't have a problem with. All right, we got a caller calling in, and we've got just a few minutes left in the show. I think we've got time to take the call, so let's hop over to the phone line. We've got Matt calling in from San Luis Obispo. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Hey, I just had a quick question for you guys. I've got, uh, we have a home out here in San Luis, uh, out in the Rolling Hills area that we purchased a while ago. I think it's seven years now. And I really haven't been keeping track of anything because we don't plan on moving, but we're both my wife and I are in our late 50s, and we're thinking maybe should we be thinking um, refinance to drop that mortgage payment down going into retirement here in the next you know five to seven years. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great question, Matt. It's it you know a lot of this is one of those things where it's hard to just answer without having a conversation with you that's a little more in depth about you know when do you plan on retiring, what kind of um, 
you know, income sources are you going to have in retirement? Uh, what kind of assets do you have? And what are your plans for those assets in retirement? Yeah, because Matt, what happens, you know, indubitably the first five years of a new mortgage is you paying the bank a lot of interest. We wouldn't want you to just jump into that unless it made a lot of sense during retirement. But a lot of people, okay. f- you, you find yourself, you're probably... I, I can only imagine you're you're several years into your existing mortgage, you know, if not on the the downhill side of paying off that mortgage, and so your payment is based on the original mortgage balance over the original term of the loan. Good point. And you could refinance that remaining balance into. I mean, you could go back to a new thirty year term and dramatically lower your payment, um, or. Yeah. You could go into a 20 or 15 year loan term. You still might lower your payment, um, yep. but maybe not as much. So it just kind of, this is where a conversation well, has to occur and we have to understand the goals and that kind of thing. Right. My, my wife had mentioned we're with a, a company called Providence. Okay. And she said that there's some program that they have where you can, you can do a, it's, it's, it's almost like a refinance, but it's not. There's no fees involved, but you, you drop a lump sum down. And it basically reduces the amount of the the loan, the mortgage amount, uh, without all the fees, and we keep the interest rate and everything else. And I can't remember what that's called. Do, uh, it might be they might be referring to a recast of your mortgage. A recast. That's it. Yeah. Usually, that's something that occurs if you have um, made some prepayment of your loan, some substantial prepayment. If you put a lump sum down on your principal balance then you it's usually 10 percent. yeah so there's that could be what they're what they're talking about um you know matt we'd, if it's something that you'd like to explore we'd love to to have a conversation with you it's always free to talk to a loan officer and figure out what makes sense if doing a recast with your existing mortgage servicers the right move that's what we would advise you if if there's other opportunities we could talk about those as well so um we'd love to hear from you during the week if you'd like to explore that a little further yeah, I'm looking at all all the things we've been looking at doing buying some annuity. You guys had uh, Matt Hollander on there a while ago, and I'm kind of exploring that. So, uh, cool. getting ready for retirement. So, ah, it's a great great thing to get ready for. Mm-hmm. I'm very I'm envious of you, Matt. But I got a I got a few more decades of work ahead of me before I can even think about that. Matt, thanks for calling <laughs> yeah. in. We're going to let you go and wrap up the show. All right, thank you. Have a good right. day. All right, see you, bud. If uh, if anyone would like to discuss um, opportunities to use mortgage financing to help set up your retirement, that's something we'd love to help you plan with or plan for. Um, you can give a call to our company. It rings all of our offices. Um, the number is 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We've got offices in Paso Robles, Tascadero, San Luis Obispo, Morro Bay. We even got an office in... Uh, Ventura, and we opened a new office in Merced recently. So we're growing and we're all over the place. Um, but one number rings all the offices. Again, it's 543-LOAN, 543-5626. Um, you can also learn a lot just by going to our website. We try to post articles about lots of topics that are, you know, that either customers have come to us with questions or different scenarios. And, and we try to put those different real world experiences into, um, into writing on our website. So you can check out our blog. It's at centralcoastlending.com. We've got a free online loan application to start that loan process. 
Um, that's typically how how most mortgages are getting started anymore is through an online loan process. It's secure. It's safe. Your data is protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we'd love to help you. So um, Agreed. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about our process is I call us the hybrid. We're not rocket mortgage, but we do have everything that rocket mortgage has online and we and you get a real person right here in your in your county or in your state to help you give you all these topics we talk about and think about all week long so you know as always we appreciate you listeners um listening to the show we thank our sponsors thank you so much without you this show would not be possible and and really in closing i just want to say um dan thanks again for having me on the show as one of your loan officers i love working for Central absolutely Coast mike thanks for being here we're gonna we're not gonna do a live show next week we have to take a break so everyone enjoy the super bowl and we'll be back the following weekend with another live edition of mortgage matters have a great weekend everybody